Speaking of the gospel, let us open our Bibles to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. The title of the message this morning is The Righteousness of God. The Righteousness of God. In Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. In Romans 3, 21, we have a restatement of Romans 1, 17, signaling God's return to the topic of His righteousness. So in, in Romans 1.17, God introduces the topic of His righteousness, the righteousness of God, and then He suspends talking about that topic for two and a half chapters. We just finished preaching those two and a half chapters where He talks about the wickedness, the unrighteousness of man, where He talks about His wrath, which is the righteous wrath on our unrighteousness, and He talks about how we're all lost. And then now in Romans 3.20, when he picks back up with the theme that he began in Romans 1.17. As a matter of fact, if you look on the screen, you will see, as we compare these two verses, the similarity. For in it, Romans 1.17, the it there is the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And now look at Romans 3.21. You can compare them. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. That's a synonym. The Greek word there translated manifested and the Greek word translated revealed. Very similar words. So it's the same idea. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In our last community group, Sergio Mora, our leader, began the meeting with a question. Here was his question. If Jesus were to stand right in front of you this moment, and you could ask him one question, any question at all, and he would answer you right there on the spot, what would it be? Well, I, I, I kind of put my head down, closed my eyes. I was deep in thought. Several theological questions came to mind. The first one is, Lord, help me with the problem of evil. You know, and, and then I kind of stopped. I, I considered... You know, maybe I'll ask the Lord for just a quick, quick peek into my future. Uh, and then I kind of put my outreach hat on and I thought, no, I'm going to ask the Lord, Lord, how can we be more faithful and fruitful in declaring and demonstrating the gospel in South Florida? And my thoughts were interrupted by a voice, a quiet voice, just next to me or in front of me. And here's what that voice said. Why? Followed by the full sentence me, Lord? Why did you choose me? And I was immediately convicted. That was not my first question. It should have been. That was the right question. That's actually the question that Romans 1, 18 through 320 delivers us to. Jesus, or Paul, begins with the righteousness of God in Romans 1, 17, and he suspends that for two and a half chapters because he wants to deliver us yet again to the righteousness of God, but he wants to deliver us there with this question on our lips. Why? Why would you choose me? And how? How can you choose me? I know I'm wicked. I know I'm unrighteous. I know I'm a sinner. You are righteous. You are good. You are right. Why and how? Those two questions are answered in our text this morning. So let's read it together to find out the response to our questions. Romans 3, 
21. But you know what? Before we read it, let's pray. Because I know that I need God's grace. I need God the Holy Spirit who is here with us right now to give me understanding and to give me power to preach his word the way he wants it preached. And I know you need God's power. You need the Holy Spirit to be able to understand it. We all need it together to apply it to our lives. So let's pray, church. Desperately in need of God's righteousness, God's spirit, God to move amongst us. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for every person in this room, everybody listening digitally, I pray that you would open up their hearts. Lord, if they do not know you, that you even now would give them life, take the blinders off their eyes, unstop their ears, give them understanding in their hearts. Lord God, if they know you, for most of us here listening to this, we know you. Lord, help us understand afresh and anew. Help us be in awe of your righteousness. It is truly awesome. And may your righteousness change us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 3.21 But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that, so that he, God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, the text begins in verse 21a with these words, but... Now, but now, those words signal the new error of the Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 20, describe the old error of bondage to sin and powerlessness to escape the wrath of God. Just as God's wrath dominated the old era, so now the righteousness of God dominates the new. There's been a massive shift in the salvation history. 321 signals that God has fulfilled his promise to deliver his people from his wrath through his righteousness. Look at 21b. The law and the prophets... Bear witness to this righteousness of God that has been manifested. And what do these witnesses reveal? What do the Old Testament law and the prophets speak and bear witness to when it comes to the righteousness of God? And here's what they reveal. Point one. Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. Jesus is the one to whom the law and the prophets point. Jesus is the one who fulfills the Old Testament. Jesus is the one who fulfills the Day of Atonement that God gave to Israel 
at Mount Sinai. Jesus Christ fulfills the prophets like Isaiah who prophesied of a Messiah who would come as a suffering servant. Jesus is the righteousness of God. And look at verse 22. This righteousness now is no longer just available to the Jew, but read with me in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. Remember from chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 20, what is Paul, what is God trying to do? He's trying to say, Jew, Greek. Basically, that was the whole world. You're either Jew or you were Greek. That's it. All of you are under condemnation. All of you are in need of my righteousness. So he's saying here in verse 22, this righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. And then in verse 23, He's summarizing everything he said from verse chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 20. He's basically, as Corey told us last week, shutting us up into our unrighteousness so that he might lead us into his righteousness. There's no distinction. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Oh, friends, listen to me. The glory of God is what you prior to the fall, were created to enjoy. The glory of God is what Adam possessed at his creation, and it's what he lost at his fall. And not just Adam, we all lost it. Jew and Greek alike were all guilty, as it says in chapter 1, of exchanging the truth about God for a lie. Worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator, like Adam, church, we are all idolaters. Exchanging the glory of God for the glory of man. What a poor exchange. We've all lost the glory of God, but now, verse 21, but now, that which has been lost in Adam is being restored in Christ who is the righteousness of God. The new has come. God has fulfilled the promise that he made to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, that the whole world would be blessed with him. Read it with me. Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God's promise to bless, to save the world Through Abraham, actually not through Abraham, through one of his descendants, and we know who that descendant is now. He's been revealed. He's the righteousness of God. It's Jesus Christ. He is the one through whom God will now bring about the fulfillment of his promise and his blessing. He is the one through whom those who have fallen in sin, verse 23, those who have forfeited God's glory, they've fallen short of God's glory. They, those who deserve God's wrath through Jesus now, they will be saved. Those who believe in him, that's what verse 22 says. Look at verse 24. Not only will they be saved at the end of verse 22, all those who have fallen and come short of the glory of God, but also look at verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in whom? Christ Jesus. Here's the righteousness of God. Oh, church, I, I want to take it. I just want to display it to you. I, I want you to look at it and be and marvel. Be in awe of this righteousness of God 
This is the saving righteousness of God. This is God saving those who do not deserve it. Look at 24. Justified by his what? Grace. As a what? Gift. You do not earn a gift. This is why adoption is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. These children did not earn someone going to those foreign lands and spending lots of money and lots of time to adopt them. No, they did not. It was a gift by grace, just like our redemption is, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But we scream at this point, don't we? I mean, I'm back now to community group a week and a half ago, and I'm hearing that person ask the question, why? Why? I mean, why would you do this, God? Why would you redeem me? Why would you give me something freely that I do not deserve? Me, the one who has poked my finger in your eye. Me, the one who has rebelled against you. Me, who would rather be God than worship God. Me, who has run as fast and as hard as I could from you. Why? And how? I mean, God, did you just wave a wand? Is this like a presidential pardon? I mean, don't you realize, God, that I'm unrighteous? I'm unworthy? Well, of course he does. Chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 20. Right, church has made it abundantly clear. Four sermons on that, all right? I got it, Al. But yet at the end of those four sermons, it doesn't deliver us into our judgment and doom. It delivers us into God's righteousness given to us as a free gift by his grace. Why? And I could just hear someone ask, probably me if I were there, and what about your righteousness, God? I mean, do you realize who you're pardoning here? I mean, if you were a judge and I came into your courtroom and I committed murder and you were to pardon me, people would say, you're a bad judge. God, how can you do this? See, that's where the how comes in. And that leads us to point two. When we ask God, Lord, what about your righteous wrath? in light of my sin? And how in the world can you give me this free gift of redemption and righteousness, though I deserve your wrath and and death? Leads us to point two. Jesus Christ delivers us from the wrath of God. Oh, friends, 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 when we look at the righteousness of God, it is truly awesome. Because how is God going to justify a person that is unrighteous when he is righteous without he himself being called unrighteous because he gave this person what they did not deserve and he failed to punish their offense? Come on, God. Even earthly judges know this. You do the crime, you got to do the the, the time. You can't just say you're justified. That's what justified means. It's a legal term. You can't just say justified. Justified. Yeah, Pino, I know you were doing 110 miles an hour in the Palmetto yesterday because you were late to an appointment, um, but, the, but the speed limit's 55. And if you were doing 110, you did the crime, you're going to do the time or points on your license or a huge fine. Police officer can't just walk up and say, uh, you know, go, go in peace. You get fired. God's righteous. How do you do this, God? This is where the gospel shines. This is where verse 25 tells us how in the world God can make just or right people that are not right and still be just. Look at verse 25. 
whom God, now this whom is pointing back to Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. I want you to notice how righteousness and faith always are walking together in these verses. We're going to be talking a lot about righteousness. This is the Greek word, diakonise, and, 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 and faith, pistis. So these words are always going to be together. So what we're, what we're seeing here is we're made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, the reformers would have taken those solas. If you've ever heard of the solas, they would have said sola fide, by faith alone. They get it right here from this text. By grace alone, sola gratia. They get it from this text because God's righteousness doesn't come to us because we earn it. It comes as we put our faith in Jesus. But how can God then make us righteous? And who's going to pay for the crime? How is God's righteous wrath, and it's good that he has wrath against evil. Someone breaks into my house, wants to harm my children and my wife. If I'm a good father, if I'm a good husband, I oppose that evil. I don't just sit there and say, let it happen. It is good that God opposes evil. It is good that God says, no, you can't do that. You can't oppress that one. No, you can't steal. We like that, especially if we're the ones being oppressed or stolen from or being threatened. So God's got to punish our sin. Here you go. Here's how he does it. Here's what his righteousness looks like. He puts his own son forward as a propitiation by his blood. What does the word propitiation mean? On the screen. A propitiation is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end, and in so doing, changes God's wrath toward us into favor. This is the glory of the cross. You want to see God's righteousness? Look at the cross. For it is at the cross of Christ where God initiated paying the price of our redemption. He put forward the sacrifice that would propitiate his wrath against our sin. He paid the debt to himself that we owed. He initiated the entire deal. This word propitiation, hilasterion in the Greek, very important word, links God's wrath with God's righteousness. See, God's wrath is his judging righteousness. So God's saving righteousness And God's judging righteousness must meet together somewhere for God to remain righteous and still make righteous or justify wicked people. Where do they meet? Where can they meet? They meet in Jesus on the cross. This is the place that God, this is the place that God's judging righteousness crushes the sun. And this is the place that God's saving righteousness justifies us as a gift. And we receive it by faith. It's at the cross that Jesus bore the wrath of God we so richly deserve. It's at the cross that we receive the favor of God that we do not deserve. The cross is the emblem of the righteousness of God. It is at the cross that the appeasement of the Father's wrath 
is accomplished by the shedding of the Son's blood. Look at verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. By His blood. Oh, friends, we are justified by faith alone because it is to be received by faith in this verse. We are justified because of God's grace alone. It comes to us by His grace as a gift. Look at verse 25b. This was to show, and I want you to see that, to show God's righteousness in 25b, then skip to 26a. It was to show His righteousness. These two words are very, very important because these two words are are coming back and they're commenting on this, this spectacular revelation of God's righteousness that is described in verse 25 where it says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That is the key that no one figured out. That's the thing that no one knew was coming. That's what everybody missed in the Old Testament when it spoke of the Messiah. That's what Satan himself missed, thinking he had crucified the Son of God and it was over. No, what everyone missed is that here, here is the place where God is able to fulfill his promise to bless you, though you don't deserve to be blessed. He cursed his Son to bless you. And it happened on the cross. This is the Luther in his Bible. Luther penned, this is the epicenter. This is the verse that, that, that explains the epistle and the whole Bible. And I think he's right. This is the story. This is the point where the story goes, yeah, where it sings. The glory of the cross. They will flee from the Lamb crucified, it says in Revelation. The cross is the glory of God. The cross. This is why it's a big deal. God solved the problem of how he could justify unjust people. So these two little phrases in 25b, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So what this means is this. How, why, God, did you wait? Why did you allow the sins not to be punished immediately? Why did you allow Old Testament people, saints, people that were saved in the Old Testament but before Christ, how could you just pass over sins without executing your righteous wrath? God, I'm going to call you on the docket. You're going to go on the witness stand. I'm going to accuse you of not being righteous. And what God is saying here is this. I suspended my wrath on those sins. I even saved Old Testament saints based upon what I would do on the cross through Jesus Christ. Because I would save that wrath. I would compress that wrath. I would would store up that wrath. And on the cross, I would then release that wrath. Exploding it on Jesus. So much so that he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The physical pain was bad. That was not the beginning. It was the rejection of the Father and the wrath of God he took for you and for me. And so everybody that's ever been forgiven of sin, Before the cross, after the cross. is forgiven because of the cross. Oh, that's a great mystery that's been revealed right here. And that mystery leads us to point three. 
It is God. It is God on the cross who vindicates his righteousness because in Jesus Christ on the cross, God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in him. God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in him. Listen, this is all about God's name. Do you remember in in Romans chapter 1? It says that the Gentiles mock God's name. Do you remember in Romans chapter 2? It says that because of the Jews' misbehavior and disobedience to the law, God's name is mocked or blasphemed among the Gentiles. And here in Romans 3, because of the cross, because of the righteousness of Christ on the cross, God's name is vindicated. The cross vindicates God's name. The cross says, I can be just and the justifier of the unjust because I am going to pour my wrath on the only one that was just and give the favor he earned to those who are unjust. And I choose to do it. I initiate it. I do it. We're back to community group. Why? Why? Listen, friends. The question is not, how can God justly punish human beings? No. The question is, how can God justly forgive anyone? The answer is the cross of Jesus Christ. Are we asking the right question, church? If you've never asked this question, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, I humbly and respectfully ask you to consider it. Go back and read Romans 1, 2, and 3. I'll read it with you. Call me. I'll come over. Let's have a coffee. I'll pay for your meal. Or better yet, someone next to you, let them pay for your meal. (laughs) Your cheapskate friend that invited you. But I'm serious here. There's nothing more important. Listen, asking the right question is the first step to getting the right answer. You ask the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer, even if your question is answered correctly. This is the right question to ask. Oh, friends, I would sum up the sermon in this way. The cross of Christ satisfies God's justice, vindicates God's name, and saves God's people. In it, the righteousness of God shines brightly. The cross of Christ, it satisfies God's justice. It vindicates God's name. And it saves God's people who do not deserve to be saved, but are saved because of God's grace alone, by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Who is God's righteousness? Who bore my sin on the cross? Who took the wrath I deserve? I'm amazed. I'm in awe of that. Listen, my ministry, it may not be that amazing. I got that. It may not be everything I would have wanted to be, but his ministry, the ministry I represent, that's amazing. That's amazing. I'm excited to preach that. I'm eager like Paul was to preach this gospel. That is great news. Oh, may we shine brightly in our generation, church. And if you don't know him right now, as I pray, I pray you would. You would bow your heart and your life to him. Let's pray. Lord God, worship team can join me up here. Lord God, I pray that the glory of the cross would be lifted up and the glory of your righteousness would be gazed upon by every person in this room. 
Lord God, our horizontal relationships may be in the garbage can. There may be so many conflicts going on, they're stacking up like planes at LaGuardia. We have things happening that we don't want to happen. We don't have things happening that we want to happen. All of these horizontal things are going on, but oh Lord, in the midst of that, this one vertical truth that in Christ I am justified by faith, redeemed by faith in Him. My sins are not counted against me, but against Him. I've escaped your wrath. I'm no longer a slave in bondage to sin. Hallelujah! Uh, May that truth overshadow our lives, our brokenness, our disappointments, our discouragements, our failures. Oh, as, as Corey said last week, we're free to fail. I'm free to be rejected because you've accepted me, Lord. My life is not dominated by what others think because I know what you think. Lana's life will never be the same. She no longer lives in a Siberian orphanage. Isaac's life will never be the same. He no longer lives in a Chinese orphanage. Our lives are never the same. The old is gone. The new has come. And it's come in Christ as a gift. Oh Lord, move hearts to receive it. Give them your grace, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song.